Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the new voice of MMA, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks to Rob. I'm flying solo over here, <laughs> and um, if, if the people could have seen what we've gone through the last 20 minutes, it would make the world's greatest blooper reel um, look uh, serious. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I am helpless. I am, it's amazing. Thank God I know a little something about fighting. Um, <laughs> and, and I've, I've worked very hard to do that. And it's just amazing how bad I am at this stuff. I mean, for me, Rob, just get me through it. I'm I'm ready to put him up for an like some kind of an award, you know what I mean? <laughs> we, like we, for, we need an Emmy science. version of the podcast awards. I I, I mean I want production. In my mind, yeah, in my mind, I want to put him up for you know like a science award because <laughs> I, I, it's just I had no uh, here I am thanks to him walking me through this. I got nobody here. And, For the people um, listening, if we had a behind-the-scenes camera on, the both of us with our reading glasses on, trying to figure out how to get the Zoom working on Teddy's phone and record it, and it's been a uh, production. But we're here, and we're here not just to talk about boxing, but to talk about UFC. And for the first time, I don't think we've discussed a Bellator fight, but we're going to discuss a Bellator fight. Teddy, I was inundated, inundated with messages of people telling me to watch this A.J. McKee Pitbull uh, fight. And just so the fans know, I watch everything. <laughs> we just only have so much capacity. But this one had so much buzz, and we did get so many incoming requests, and the fight was so good that we, we, we were on the fence about recording this week, but two fights lived up to expectations this weekend, and uh, we're here. And I appreciate you for doing it, Teddy. I love your T-shirt. We've got a lot to talk about, about Olympic boxing and all that goes with it. So uh, we got a lot to cover today. Yeah, we do. Listen, we're always going to be there for the fans. As long as they open their door to us, their living rooms to us, their kitchens to us, their cars to us, their phones to us, wherever they may be, I'm learning. You could be anywhere because I'm <laughs> learning that this stuff, it travels. You know, it, it travels a little bit. And um, all I can tell you, I was so embarrassed a little bit. You know, amongst friends, you don't have to be embarrassed. But being so inept, at trying to get on here and Rob walking me through it. I, I had to say to my man, Ken, you know, I did, I did pass biology in, in high school. <laughs> I, 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 I was smart. You know, I, was, I feel like, I Fredo know things. From, uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like Fredo from the Godfather. I'm smart. I'm, I know things. I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm stupid. Um, I felt a little dumb um, trying to get on this thing, but we're here. Thank God, and the the Bellator. First of all, uh, one of my old ESPN colleagues and friends uh, is the director of Bellator, and he's been asking me for years, literally, Ken, for years. Please, please, I love your podcast. It's getting bigger and bigger, and everyone's talking about all our fighters watch it, and everybody the our fans even talk and I'm and I was just overwhelmed I said wow that's that's tremendous thank you he said yeah but you don't watch Bellator 
you know, you know, you know I hope you told please. him that Ken sees every fight start to finish oh that's it yeah it's, Ken sees always like he's like radar it's just like <laughs> it goes everywhere you know it's just I'll tell him I, now that I know that I'll be calling him for press credentials to the next Bellator event no excuses I, yeah he may want to pull <laughs> back on that one a little bit you know? <laughs> but he his name is Rick Brzezinski and he's a tremendous director he was tremendous at boxing they lost a lot when they lost him to be honest uh, as a director over there, but you know, thank thank God he's he's doing good. He you know he does he does MLB. He does a lot of different stuff as people in that business do. They work in different places. But like I said, Ken, he's been telling me for years. Please, Teddy, watch Bellator. We got some good fighters over there too. We know that you're into the UFC, but we got some good guys. And you know what? We we watched. There was a reason to watch this one. With their biggest star, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, reel me in if I'm a little wrong. But for me, Pitbull was maybe their biggest star. I mean, two two uh, champion in two weight classes, lightweight yeah, four, and I believe four years he hasn't lost, right? Unbeaten in That's four right. years, and he thirty-two and five style. Thirty-two and five, seven fight win streak, going up against eighteen and zero, four straight finishes for AJ McKee, eighteen wins in a row, thirteen by stoppage, coached by his dad. This fight had everything, Teddy. Two yeah. killers, awesome. I mean, and like I said, for me, Pitbull was their star. Their, you know, superstar. Yeah, their superstar. I mean, obviously in the UFC, they have a few guys you could call their stars. Probably start with McGregor. I guess, you know, the, the the biggest name. And then you got Masvidal, who comes on our show. We love him, you know. And, and this, you got Poirier. Uh, I mean, you got so many guys. Max Holloway. I mean, you got so many great Francis. guys. Francis. Uh, Francis and Gandhi. All, fr all friends of the show, too. Guys that we, we genuinely like. All good people. Yeah. But so Pitbull, the big star, he goes in there with the rising star, McKee. And this is what I saw. I, I'll tell you, I saw a salesman. This guy was better than any vacuum cleaner salesman that years <laughs> ago that our parents would have to deal with. <laughs> you know, and they, and they were pretty good. They usually got out of there selling a vacuum. And this guy could go on a used car lot and he could sell you a heat. <laughs> and you think you bought a Bentley. <laughs> I mean, he sold. He sold. That's how he won the. He being McKee. He. I'm getting guys. You're you're dying to see where I'm going. He sold Pitbull by by he's a southpaw by crouching down, grabbing the floor, taking small steps, very individual, stepping small to the guy, planting his feet, and then pushing his right hand jab. Push, push. He sold him that he was going to throw a punch. Sold him. Sold him. And, he, and I watched it, and I said, whoa, whoa. I hope everyone's noticing what's going on here. This guy, this guy's a brilliant genius. This guy, he sits, he's sitting down. He's sitting down on his own. So he's showing you by sitting down, I'm going to punch. I'm going to punch. And then he's, he's put, I'm looking for a big left hand. I'm using my right hand jab to set, pop, to set this up. So he's got him thinking. He's selling selling to Pitbull that he's got to be worried about these. He's got to be worried about these, about the hands coming. He sold that to him. And then he gets in position. He's pushing the jab like he's, again, 
Like he's telling you for sure. I'm going to be looking to set up a power punch with the left hand, measuring you a little bit. And then, bang, he throws a kick. What a setup. What a sales job. Salesman of the year. Salesman of the year. Hey, Rick Brzezinski, you're the director. You got some weight over there at Bellator. See if you can sell that as a new thing over there. Salesman of the year. Put that out. Put that up there in your next meeting that you guys have in the production. <laughs> I know you have a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings. I never went to a meeting. But I know you got a lot of meetings over there. For me, I kept it simple. I went there. I was ready. I did my preparation. When that red light went on, I started talking. <laughs> that, that, one one that, take, Teddy. That worked for me. That worked for me. But I know, Rick, you take a lot of meetings, you guys over there, good meetings. Put that forward. See, start an award. Maybe do it once a month. Maybe once every couple months. Where the salesman, who's the salesman of, who's the salesman of the month? Who's the salesman of the quarter? Whatever you want to do. This guy, wow. He, he really sold it. Ken, that's how he won the fight. Perfectly placed kick. And if you watch the replay as really extra proof of that I, that I know I'm right about this, is that Pitbull started to move his head as though he was getting ready to slip a left hand. He was so convinced a punch was coming, he was getting ready to slip, and he slipped right into the kick. He never saw the kick. Never saw it coming again. And it's worth repeating because this young new superstar that is there, that made that crashed onto the scenes the best way you can. If you want to be a star, you go knock a star out. That's how you become a star. No better way to do it. And he did it again. He sat down. He convinced Pitbull, who hadn't lost in four years, that you better look out for my hands. I'm sitting down, I'm walking slow, I'm pushing my jab, looking to load up with a big shot, and bang, I sneak a kick in there, and it's devastating. Again, if you're going to be a star, there's no better way to go out there and knock off a stock. Reminded me of Michael Jordan years ago when he was a rookie. I think he was a rookie, but whatever it was, maybe he wasn't a rookie, but it was his first playoffs against a team you might know something about called the Celtics with Larry Bird, and he drops 50 points on the great Larry Bird and the Celtics. That's the way you say a new star is here. That's the way you introduce yourself. Michael Jordan, the, the greatest basketball player, I believe at least, of all time. I'm here. I come, I come in the playoffs, and I drop 50 on the Birdman uh, you know, uh, that's, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And that's how you do it. If you're, if you're a Bellator MMA fighter, you go and you, you go and drop a, you go drop a kick, a perfectly placed kick on the superstar of Bellator. And you, you get them out of there, uh, in, in very, 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 very fast and impressive fashion. So that's what I saw, Ken. And it was brilliant. It was a brilliant display of using this and this, the body. The head. He got the best of both worlds. 
because he got the essentially got the knockout, but he wasn't quite out, and he got him. He actually finished him with the uh, standing guillotine choke, which again on a Brazilian black belt like pit bull to choke him out even when he's hurt it just was a perfect ending for mckee got him with he got to use a bunch of different tools and show off all his skills and the oh, pitbull's right. coming so right. pitbull had a tko win over michael chandler who arguably could be in line for a four, you know one or two lucky breaks here and there with the ufc he lost his last fight but he, they were that. talking about him in in line for a title shot so yeah, he was that tough fight to Oliveira, and he had Oliveira you know, hurt. Yep, yep. And then Oliveira came back. It was a great fight. Great fight. Yes. Uh, and and Pitbull has a, has a knockout. And Pitbull has a knockout win over Chandler and uh, AJ McKee made it look easy against him. So no, you're shout right. out to AJ yeah. McKee. He That's made it tremendous. to the hall. He made it to our wall of fame. You see, I got his picture up there for all the Bellator hardcores. When, you, when you've gotten there, <laughs> you know you've gotten somewhere. Really? That's right. <laughs> he, he he can retire now, really. If he, yep. you know, I mean, he made if, it. If, he's there. The Hall I of mean, Fame. Really, there is there is no there beyond there. I mean, he's there's on the hard else drive. To go. That's there's it. Really, nowhere else to go. It's no nothing else he can really accomplish. Um, that could be greater than that. But you're right, Ken. You know, he he. It all got set up with the kick, and he got hurt. But then he gets him into that that guillotine, that full guillotine. Wow. Wow, and and just and not only he didn't even tap him out. He just he he put, put him, him out. He told the ref. Yeah, he told the put ref he's sleeping. Sleep. Yeah, he put him as, yep. and the ref you could see. I you saw with the ref that he he picked his arm up to see if it fell left. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> it's it a did. tough sport. <laughs> it's a tough sport. <laughs> that might be a that might be a tip off. It's a tough sport when you're picking up a guy's arm and to see if he's gone. <laughs> that's a tough sport. That's a tough sport. Yeah. Well, we got a reminder of that, too, in the UFC. We'll get into it now. But there were some fights in the UFC that, my God, these guys. I mean, I sound like a broken record, but these guys are tough. And speaking of a broken record, before we jump into the UFC, Teddy, I'm home after, well, four weeks of extensive traveling. I was on vacation, but traveling from um, our vacation to work. And um, one of the things I credit with keeping me going, and I know you've been a big fan of it, is Athletic Greens. And again, I know I sound like a broken record, but these guys have spent a lot of time developing this. It's got 75 whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, prebiotics, vitamins, minerals. I, I credit Athletic Greens with keeping me COVID safe. I was on multiple cross-country flights. Again, I'm not a scientist. Uh, you might want to fact check me here, but I credit Athletic Greens with, not, with me not getting sick. I took it every single day while I travel. If you go to athleticgreens.com, use the promo code ATLAS, you'll get 10 free travel packs with your first purchase again use promo code atlas a-t-l-a-s athleticgreens.com let's talk uh, it's UFC, good stuff teddy it's good I stuff i just add to that it's you know if you want to drop a couple pounds you want to replace a meal too and you're in a hurry like him like ken you know jet lagging jetting all over the place you know he left out the part that it's his private jet so it makes it a little easier, a little easier, a little bit. But he's still jetting, he's still jetting, he's still running, you know, to get there. And sometimes you can't grab the meals you want to grab, and you can grab something that'll keep you going and won't put those pounds on you at the same time. At the That's same it. time. That's it. That's pretty damn good. It's good stuff. That's it. Yep. Let's talk UFC in the undercard. First up, we had Nicholas Stoltz out of Germany against Jared the Night Train. Gooden, my God, Jared Gooden looked like a, a wrecking ball in there. I know you watched this one. What'd you see? I just saw the replay. I'm always fully 
honest with everybody, full transparency. That's what we do, baby. And I saw the replay and man, you know what I love the setup, just like I love with McKee, the setup, the setup, he set that, you know, using this, using the head, you know, uh, the intelligence behind it, where that kick so beautifully, well, this punch was beautifully set up. I don't remember if it was orthodox or southpaw. I think orthodox. And he starts to slip over. And it's one of the trick punches that I would teach in the gym, to be honest, where you start to slip over. And then at the last second, you delay just a split second, but you get a smooth synchronization. You know, you, you do it with the proper timing. You start to slip to the left, letting the guy letting the guy's eyes go follow you like something's going to come from that side. And as you slip to the left, you drop the right hand on them and you catch them a punch that they don't see. It's a real trick. It's a, it's a brilliant trick. Um, it's a setup. It's, it's the way of setting up a punch uh, where you can land it even with a good fighter. You can land it where, again, you, you fool him. You fool him. You know, it's kind of like an end of round in football where you fool them. You get the defense going the wrong way. You get the eyes going the wrong way. You start to slip to one side. The eyes are going over there. Boom. And then you drop the hand on the other side. He never expects it. That's what he did. And I recognize that. To your that point, it. Teddy. To your point, he also, he also caught the kid Stoltz coming in, like leaning right in. So he's moving forward as he's punching him. And it was like. I mean, he went right down and like turned the lights off immediately. Yeah, he timed it beautiful. A little bit like a lot of people Google this and, and look at it. It's, an, it's a devastating knockout. Maybe Rob even wind up getting it up there. But Rob does so many things that I ask him. But And I always appreciate it. We appreciate it. The fans appreciate it. He's behind the scenes. But everyone knows who the famous Rob uh, <laughs> is. They, they, they know. And, you know, Pacquiao, as great as he's, you know, he's great. And he's got a big fight coming up at 42 years of age. And that's that's going to be a tough one. And we, we, we're we going to have a fight plan for you guys. Something to look forward to uh, down the road before that fight. Something to look forward to, I hope. Uh, we're going to have a nice fight plan, me and Ken, uh, put, put together for that. But that Pacquiao got knocked out by Marquez. You know, they fought, what, four times, five times, whatever it was. And every time they fought, it was life and death. You know, some yep. people thought that Marquez could have got one or two of those decisions. Pacquiao had gotten a little bit more of them. But in this one, it didn't go to the judges. It was a perfect trap set by the great Marquez, and he's a great fighter. He took a little step back, invited Pacquiao in. Pacquiao got a little overzealous. You know, with that speed, he ran red light. He came in a little too fast, a little reckless aggression, and bang, he got caught with a right hand. Good night. Good night. Doesn't happen often to great fighters. It happened to Pacquiao. If you look at that, that's a little bit similar, I think, to Gooden, what we're talking about, where you entice him in. And on that one too, Ken, where Marquez, he didn't, he didn't just catch it. He set him. He slipped over like he was going to slip over and throw something on the left side. Boom! And he dropped the right hand and caught him coming in. And as I said, when you catch a guy with a punch they don't see, the lights go out. And the lights went out on the great Pacquiao. So a little similar for me, a little similar to the history there of that fight uh, with Gooden, 
uh, scoring a knockout the other night. And like I said, a few years ago with the great knockout that Marquez, the great Marquez scored over the great Pacquiao. If anybody, if we don't put it up ourselves, you guys could go find it. Actually, speaking of Pacquiao, it's shocking to me that he's had the career he had after that knockout. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but when a guy that who's already, he was older at the time and gets knocked out like starched, like stiff as a board, like a real knockout. I thought, I thought like a Roy Jones, I'm like, he's never going to be the same. You just, you can only take so much pounding in the head. Then he comes back and he's got to win over Thurman. He's fighting Spence. It's shocking. It's like, you know, like we said, he's like got a fountain of youth. I never would have expected to have this longevity after that KO. Such a good point, Ken, because uh, I listen, it's to, it's to his character. It's to his history. It's, his resiliency, you know, everything he has been a guy that experienced, you know, more likely to get over it. But you, you do that to a lot of fighters, period. But you do that to a lot of younger fighters. They may never get over that. They may never get over that. They may never find themselves again. Lost, lost in space, lost in sea, whatever you want to, any way you want to put it. You never get back to that confidence level, to that belief level that you need to be at. Uh, Pacquiao, of course, with all his experience, all his journey, all his ventures, you know, all that he has accomplished, he was able to uh, do something that's very difficult to do, you know, erase it, erase it from the blackboard and, you know, go right on to the next fight. Uh, You know, I often say that. You know, to be in, in that kind of situation as a great fighter, you almost have to be like a great golfer where you forget the last shot yeah. <laughs> that went into the woods. You know what I mean? The one that went into the lake. Um, the difference is when know, it goes into the lake, you don't have a concussion for two weeks well, and have to relive the visual. That is, that's a little bit of a difference. That's true. But you have to have a short memory where you're able to erase what bad just happened. Uh, you know, of and course. And to your uh, point, that was as bad a knockout as you'll see. I mean, stiff oh, as a board, stretcher, like that That was a bad knockout. That's, that's if you want to see knockouts, you know, if you're into seeing knockouts, <laughs> just devastating knockouts, That's that should be on the list of maybe, maybe greatest knockouts of all time. Really? Now, that's a hell of a yeah. statement for me to make. Uh, but yep. I think that it. I think it's a fair statement that if, if you put that list together, that should be on that list. Another one, we, we did one uh, on one of our podcasts. Now it's been a while. We've been doing this for a while now. We've, we're doing pretty good. The fans keep, keep inviting us back. And we're getting, we're getting bigger and bigger uh, because of the fans. And, and they keep asking for more, thankfully. And we try to give it to them. I remember some... It's over a year ago, um, at least, where one of my favorite knockouts was the great Jersey Joe Walcott over the great Ezra Charles. Both great. Yep. Great fighters. And, um, boy, that Jersey Joe Walcott, he was a puncher. And and guys like Ali took stuff. You know, the great ones take stuff from people that were great before them. And, you know, moving around, uh, the footwork, all that stuff. Of, of course, Ali... You know, at the alley shuffle, but it starts. The genesis starts somewhere, and then you expand on it. 
you add to it. And I think that some of that may have started for Ali. You know, he talked about gorgeous George the wrestler, that he took some of the stuff from him, Ali did, uh, with the promotional stuff. I think some of it may have came from Jersey Joe as far as in the ring with the footwork, with some of the moves, where Jersey Joe, you know, he'd set you up. He'd walk one way, bang. Catch you coming after him. Walk one way, go the other way, boom. Catch you coming after him. You know, throw you off a little bit. Then he used to do this with his shoulders, Ken. He'd go like this, like he'd be walk, And he'd adjust his trunks as he was doing it. All kinds of stuff to make you feel relaxed. Like, you know, like, don't worry. I'm all, you're okay. Don't worry. Have, have a latte. You know, I have a couple of coffee. Don't worry. Relax, really. You're not in the ring. Yeah, you know, I'm adjusting my trunks right now. You got nothing to worry about. And he would adjust his trunks. He walked here. And then he would synchronize the move. And what he did, he caught Ezra Charles off that move. He went on, bang! And he caught him a perfect left uppercut and just knocked out the great, great, great Ezra Charles with one punch. So... And for the fans out there, we discussed this at length with uh, in person with Jorge Masvidal before the uh, right before his Nate Diaz fight, and um, we you compared that same knockout move to his knockout of Ben Askren, how he leaned on the fence, stepped over to the side, and then running and sprinted across and hit him with that knee and infamous knockout for Ben Askren, unfortunately, who's also been on the show. Nice guy. Uh, but great win for for yeah, Jorge Masvidal true. and uh, good comparison there between the two. Distraction. Yeah, great setups, great setup. Like you said, Masvidal, he didn't just land the knee. He set up that knee yep. to land it, and he planned it. Uh, just, you know, goes to show you that these guys are smart. As I always say over and over and over, they're not just tough. They're not just physical. They're not just, you know, savages, and they are savages. They're smart savages, and they all behave, for the most part, the ones that we've been dealing with, I – I really commend them the way they behave with class uh, as gentlemen afterwards, uh, yeah. you know, towards their, for the most part, towards their opponents. They, yeah. they really do. Well, next up we had Cheyenne Bays against um, Gloria DePaula. Um, Cheyenne, De, Cheyenne uh, Bays back in, Extreme Couture in Vegas, training with the great Eric Nixick. I just exchanged a few messages with Eric right before we came on to confirm that he was, in fact, trainer. I know she was at uh, Extreme Couture, but he said, yeah. So she kicked, she knocks out um, DePaula with a beautiful head kick right as is getting up. Just barely a clean punch. It was super close that she didn't have three, three contact points on the ground. But right as she lifted her hand... Um, Cheyenne kicked her in the head, finished her, jumped on her, gave her a few. I mean, I thought the ref should have stopped it there, but she was able to land a few more shots for good measures. And Eric said, you want me to tell you what Eric said or you want to give me your thoughts first? Yeah, let me give you my thoughts. And then I love to okay. hear what Eric said. Sure. Yeah, because I want to see how smart I am or, or how, how <laughs> or dumb vice I am. versa. <laughs> yeah, or vice versa. I hope it's not vice versa. I hope not. I know, I know you're rooting for not vice versa. I know that. Um, I always root for you. I know More that. Team. I appreciate it. Listen, and you're getting bigger and bigger. Everyone's getting to know you. Whoa. <laughs> you're, I mean, really, your Rolodex has grown um, exponentially uh, since uh, we started this. <laughs> really uh, amazing. Amazing. But I will this, I will go down the same road. How smart and how calm and uncalm waters 
That's what this business, whether it's my business in fighting or whether it's Bellator, UFC, MMA, you know, any, any, any dimension of it, it doesn't matter. It's about being calm in an uncalm environment and being able to think clearly. Who can think clearer and who can perform better and make better decisions under those kind of difficult circumstances, really? It's like a fireman being able to work in fire. That's what they are. They're firemen, these guys. They got to work in fire. They can't let the fire get them. You know, they got to move the fire. They got to they gotta go th- around the fire. They, gotta, they, they have to control the fire. They, they, know what, they know what to do in this kind of environment. And I saw it again at work, the brilliance of buys, where she takes, where her opponent, the Paul, is on the floor. And what does she do? She says, in an uncommon environment, she's calm. And she's thinking, and she says, wait a minute, I can set something up here. I'll take a half a step back and make it look like I'm giving her room to get up and entice her, kind of like enticing somebody to walk into a counterpunch. No different. Of course, this was a kick, but no different. The theory is the same. The idea is the same as what we just talked about a little while ago, where Marquez took a little step back, got Pacquiao to bite, to walk in, and then dropped a punch on him, but he got him to come in where he shouldn't have came in uh, at that moment uh, so close and so quickly. Uh, the same thing. Baez takes a – she's on the ground, DePaula. Baez takes a little step back, half a step back, gives her room to feel like she can get up, to, to hope that she'll bite on it, that she'll, she'll try to get up and start to get up. And then still close enough and calm enough to see once she's cleared the canvas, once she's up and she's, you know, she's, it's, it's legal to hit her now, right? Now, now it's, you know, now, now it's all good. It's all good, as you would say. So takes a half a step back, again, entices DePaula to make a decision. DePaula could have waited, you know, and stayed on the ground with her feet up, trying to protect herself, scampered away a little bit, waited to get a look, but, she felt like, okay, she's giving me room, it's safe, and I'll start to get up. And she was wrong because she went right into the spider's web, right into the trap where Baez knew exactly what she was hoping to get. She got her to start to get up, and she wasn't that far out. She was right in that, right in that, that area where she could come right back within a split second with a kick and bang. Catch her. Catch her vulnerable. Catch her wide open where she's got her hands out, getting herself up, thinking that she's got a moment, thinking it's safe, and it wasn't safe. What a setup. And and I, I wanted to walk through it and talk through it to give her that credit, that it was that kind of setup, that you have to be cognizant of all the things I just touched on, being calm, in an uncalm place, being calm enough to recognize, is she up high enough? That Did I go back just enough where I'm close enough? Because she goes back a little too far, she doesn't get in quick enough. So she goes back just enough to do two things. To sell her that she's safe. To sell the Paula, you're safe. You got room. You got room to get up. 
and close enough at the same time to instantly throw that kick without the waste of a split second where she could get it in before she could defend it, before the polar could see it coming and get her hands back into position. Just really brilliant. Uh, what is, we, we had a lot of setups, you know, to talk about from Saturday night. And that was one of them. That was another one of them. Really, really well done. Now tell me what a trainer had to say. I'm, I'm interested to... He wanted me to tell you this. He said, first, she's an amazing girl. We're so proud of her. Tell Teddy we worked with the left high kick all camp because her opponent slipped ahead to the outside and or when our opponent threw the cross, she won't bring her hand back to her face but, but would drop it to her hip. We knew the head kick was available. We just didn't know it was there. It was about to, was going to happen on a stand-up. So that's basically yeah. the kick they've been looking for because the, they, they noticed tendencies in the opponent. So he wanted me to share that with you, so. No, no, listen, I'm glad you did. I'll tell you why. Because it kind of answers the question of why she was able to instantaneously make the decision on that and get it off so smoothly, so confidently, and so quickly. Because it was in their wheelhouse. It was in their preparation. You know, it was something, as you just said, that they trained to do. They didn't know when the opportunity would come, but once that opportunity came from her trying to get up, the kick was there as smoothly, as instantly as it needed to be because they worked on that kick, because yep. they had that kick in their repertoire, because they had that kick, you know, basically locked and loaded like you would in a gun. You know, you, you, you put the bullet in the chamber, you pull it back and... You know, you're ready to pull that trigger. They were ready to pull the trigger on that particular kick. And they, and again, the, to her credit, she set up the opportunity for that kick by taking that half a second. She recognized that the pull is on the ground. If she's got to get up at some point, it's just a matter, can I entice her to get up at the wrong point? At the wrong point. And she did. Really, really, he did a great job. Yep. Yeah, Eric did a great job. Great job uh, preparing her, uh, obviously, for the right, you know, the right, the right, uh, the right ammo, the right ammo, the right weapon. You know, I often talk about with the fighters, it's not about throwing punches. It's about throwing the right punch or punches at the right time. That's what it's about. You know, you, 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 and that's what makes the difference. You got a guy a little bit off, maybe, and all of a sudden he leans forward. Boom, you throw a right hand, it goes over his shoulder. But if you throw the right uppercut, it lands. You know, throw the right punch at the right time. Very important. You got to be calm to see that. And congratulations again to Cheyenne and uh, Eric and the whole team there. Uh, she got the extra 50 grand for a fight of the night or knock one or the other knockout of the night, fight of the night. But an extra 50 grand when you're only getting 20 grand to fight is a big deal. So congratulations to them. Eric, not only one of the nicest, one of the best coaches, but also one of the nicest guys in the sport. We really like him. Uh, takes us to the main event, uh, Teddy. One-way traffic. Sean Strickland just put it on Uriah Hall. Beat him up for five rounds. And again, emphasizing how tough these guys in the sport are. Uriah Hall took a vicious beating, and he kept coming. And at times you'd think, oh, he might turn the tide here. The guy was in it for five rounds, giving his all, and he was 
taking punishment. What'd you see? I saw what you just touched on. I'll piggyback off that. Resiliency, toughness, like most of these guys, just about all of them, really. But character, resiliency, toughness by all. I applaud them for that. But I saw to take charge of this fight, it was going to be very important for somebody to take charge right from the beginning. And for the guy who's stepping up a little bit, Strickland, he's the, he was the big favorite. Uh, he's a guy that they think is going to be, you know, uh, another one of those future stars, uh, you know, with, with his talent, his strength, his, his style, everything, uh, his approach. And so it was very important to, to start good, to, to know that you, you're in that level, that, that you are going to be uh, able to do the things that Las Vegas believes you're going to do by making you the favorite. And other people believe you're going to do stepping up with an experienced guy like Hall. Uh, it's important to get a good start. And it's important to find a way to be in command, that somebody in there had to find a way to be the boss, to be in command. And for me, you know what it came down to, Ken? The jab. Whoever was going to be in command was going to be in command with the jab. And that's to me, that's it. That was the fight. I'm going to go further. But for me, I don't, you know, I don't BS somebody if it's, you know, if it's, if it's one thing, I don't try to go somewhere else and make it something that's more interesting or more than, no, it's that, whatever it is. For me, it was who's going to control the jab. That, that won the night. And Strickland controlled the jab. Now, to the credit, where I disagree with you a little bit, it was one-way traffic, except the second round. The second round, Hall made a run. He made a run to get back into the fight. And he might have even won that second round, to be honest. He, he made a run to even that fight out for me. Um, and then it was all one-way traffic. Then Strickland showed his worth. Showed why he was the favorite, so why people were thinking so much of him, you know, out there in the UFC world, in the MMA world, where he took control. Uh, but he took control with the jab. He did, as I like to say, he set the table with the jab and he, then he ate with the right hand. That's what he was looking to do. That was, that was his, that was his MO. That was, that was his plan. You could see it. It wasn't complex. It was, I'm going to set the table with the jab. I'm going to eat with the right hand when I can eat. And, and he did. He, he had a nice, stiff, accurate, hard jab. And the difference for me was where Hall came up short, where Hall made, Hall made a, a, a bit of a mistake was Hall didn't, use, Hall didn't use his jab. His jab was a little longer, Hall's. And he should have found a way to take control with his jab. He should have found, because it was going to come down to who whoever controls the jab is going to control the night. That's what it was going to come down to. And he had a shot there. I'm not saying he would have won. The other guy showed his worth. Strickland showed to be the, the, the stronger guy, the more complete guy, if you will, uh, where he could have an edge if they went to the floor. And he used that edge by just getting into the right position, uh, not even having to go to the mat, but getting hold up against getting hauled up against the, uh, the fence, the, the cage, if you will, uh, when he, where he could have control. He kind of did what DC, the 
great Daniel Cormier and all those commentators are great, would talk about when he talked about cage space. Who gets, see, I talk about geography. He talks about same thing, all the same, cage space. Who gets the right cage space that they need? And he, for me, it's geography. And, but it amounts, like I said, same, it amounts to, it amounts to the same thing. And from what it came down to there was not understanding. Hall didn't understand about distance where he had a little longer jab. He needed to throw his jab from maybe four inches, maybe three inches further back. And he might've had a chance. He did it in spots and he landed, but wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He allowed, again, cage space, geography, whatever makes you comfortable, baby. But he allowed Strickland to get his, the distance where he could jab from the proper distance and be the boss, where Hall did, never got it. One of the commentators who I, again, I applaud them. I can't remember which one. It was Bisbang. It was a, the, the other Paul guy. Felder. Yeah, Felder. He does a great job, too. And, and then the, and then the blow-by-blow guy. Uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan uh, Fitzgerald. Yeah, they were all very good. But one of them made a, said something right along what I was thinking about. And I was tweeting about my man Rob was getting those tweets up, baby. You know, <laughs> where, where they mentioned he's having trouble, he being Hall, with distance. And that's what they meant for me was he wasn't jamming from the right distance. Again, he had longer arms. If he would have just stepped back three inches and started his jab from that position, he might have had a chance in a fight. He might have had, because then he would have had the chance to win the jab war. And once you win the jab war, well, you're dictating. You're, you're in charge a little bit. You're dictating. You're controlling the pace, the rhythm of the fight, you know, the direction of the fight. And he didn't, he didn't use that jab at the right distance for me. And, and Strickland did. Strickland got into his range. He used that jab to set up rights. And again, geography. Strickland also showed his dimensions where he got, he was able to win that space as DC talks, the great Daniel Cormier talks about where he got in, where he was able to pin, he was able to pin Hall up against the fence, up against the cage and control him, get his hands on him, you know, get inside, control him uh, because Hall understood that he was better, Strickland was better if it wound up going to the mat. So he forced Strickland, he forced Hall into a position of having to spend time just surviving. And when you're spending time just surviving, you're falling behind on the cards. You're not winning. You're falling behind on the cards. And besides falling behind on the cards, well, you're allowing your opponent to gather momentum, to get stronger, you know, to, to get that sail, that get that wind in the sails, you know, for the home stretch because he's in control. And Strickland was in control. He was in control. And um, 
it was it was a good job. Uh, he, you know, he 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 really controlled that fight. Uh, I thought he made one mistake tr- strategically, where Ken, I don't know if you're with me on this one, but there was a point I can't remember where it was. A little later in the fight, where he hurt. Again, he was using a jab to, to set the table and look and eat with the right hand. He hurt Hall. He had Hall hurt, standing, striking, and he went for the. Sh- yeah, I saw. He, it. he went for the shoot. I thought the same thing. Is like, what well, you can finish? Yeah, him. I was thinking, what are you doing? Like, you, you. He went for the shoot. Uh, listen, only he knows why he did it. But for me, he would have been better served to stay on his feet, continue with his hands, striking. And I felt that that moment he had a real good shot to get Hall out of there, to, yeah. to, to win by knockout. Uh, but he went for the, you know, he went to get him to the mat. He went for the shoot. And and I think at the end of the day, that kind of blew the chance that he had for the knockout and kind of allowed Hall to survive that moment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but at the end of the day, once again, the UFC, even in a, uh, I, sometimes I call these fight night cards, like stay busy cards, even in the cards where I view them as like, eh, maybe this one won't be as good. The card always lives up to expectations. They delivered. All the fights were entertaining. The guys, like we said before, everyone there is so tough. I mean, everyone's tough. It's like a prerequisite. Like, don't even show up if you're not tough because you're going to get. Oh, you're 100%. You're gonna... And you know, the one thing I want to add in there is that, uh, He's a Raider fan, baby. Uh, yeah, Strickland. I was disappointed I mean, a, he didn't wear the jersey. Yeah, I saw no, Teddy Jr. had a too. jersey made up. Yeah, I saw on social media. He had a shirt that said Strickland, Teddy Jr. And the equipment guys sent him a Raiders game jersey. To be yeah, honest, Teddy, I was a little bit jealous. I said, I would wear that thing on the show. Well, they're going to get you one. They're going to get you one. <laughs> they'll definitely get you one. Number um, 36. 36, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. 36. <laughs> I appreciate Box that. Box collection. There it is. Um, but no, the the history behind that a little bit is obviously not just Teddy Mike, Mike the great Mike Mayock, the GM and and of of the Raiders and Teddy and Teddy talked to the Teddy talked to the agent uh, for Strickland, and it turns out that the agent uh, is also. The agent, the agent for Strickland is also the agent for McGregor, Adesanya, and Edwards. Paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. Paradigm was, I guess that's it. You know, yeah, I didn't even put it together. Paradigm. So he he's the man. Obviously, this guy's the man. He's that got That agent's some... got a lot. They actually had Pacquiao for a minute too. They're having a huge legal dispute, but they have some they have they have the lion's share of the guys. Well, he what what where this came from was the agent contacted my son because Strickland had done some training with the defensive end of the Raiders, who's tremendous, Max Crosby. And yeah. he, so he had done training with Max Crosby. So, you know, he wanted to he wanted to show some, you know, some love to the Raiders and his friend and everything and you know, connect there. So he, he, the agent reached out to Teddy. And uh, said, do you think we could get him a Raiders jersey made for him? And sure enough, you know, Teddy, uh, Teddy got the wheels going and they made it happen. And Mike and everybody made it happen. They got they got Strickland a jersey. And as you said, on social media, he was he was kind of sporting it and everything. 
and was excited about it. That was nice. Uh, but it would have been, I was looking for it. I was looking, I was, I don't think, I don't think the UFC will let them do that. You don't see that. I don't think unless Dana approves it, no way. Cause they got the deal with Venom. They had the Reebok deal. There's no way you can wear what you want. I'm sure it has to be. Yeah, no, you're right. A hundred percent. Now, that's, if it was a Patriots exactly. jersey, I'm sure Dana would have said, yeah, let's go. Or a Larry Bird jersey, Dana would have yeah. said, good, Dana's a big Boston fan. He knows. Yeah, they would have made an exception, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you're right about that, Ken. Um, as well, you always are of- with your team up there in uh, the New England area, <laughs> whoever it may be that you're trying to represent. But, yes, yeah, so that's the story with that. He 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 got the jersey. We, we didn't see it, but... Uh, what he should do next time is when he does the interview, he should just say something like, uh, just win, baby. <laughs> well, congratulations to Strickland. Not only did he get a Raiders jersey and a big win at the main event uh, five-round uh, decision, he's also on the wall on the fight with Teddy Alice. He's in. He's on the hard drive, locked in for life now. Uh, he's, he's there. He's there. Like, you, like we said earlier, he's, he's made it. Congratulations. Congratulations yeah. to Sean Strickland on getting on the wall. Um, Teddy, before we go, lots of uh, good action in the uh, Olympics. Unfortunately, one of the um, headline-grabbing events was an Italian fighter, heavyweight, I believe. I think he was heavy. I don't think he was super heavy. Anyway, he uh, he headbutted the opponent. I think it was super I, heavyweight. I think it was super yeah, heavy. I think it was, too. And uh, he was fighting, I believe, a Frenchman. And he hit him with the, I thought it was incidental headbutt, but it cut the opponent open. And I, I didn't, now I was trying to watch the fight on replays. The, 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 the Olympics have been so hard to watch the way NBC is covering. Nevertheless, I tried to watch everything I could. I didn't see anything that I thought was egregious where I'm going to like, yeah, you have to disqualify this guy like a, like a Andrew Galata type of fouls. He might have got him with the headbutt and been a little bit sloppy with it, but I didn't think it was intentional, but no one cares what I think. What did you think, and what do you make of the disqualification? Keeping in mind, he's just ruined some kid's Olympic dream, and the kid was very angry when he got DQ. Yeah, I, I hate to say it. I'm a little bit of an expert in this field because I did four Olympics from uh, starting with 2000 was my first with and for NBC and the great Dick Ebersole, who at that time was the president of uh, NBC Sports, so I did, I did four Olympics. I did Sydney was my first. I did Athens, I believe was the second in 2004. 2000 was Sydney. 2004 was Athens. 2008 was Beijing, I believe. And then 2012 was my, uh, my last Olympics were London where they threw me out. But we'll get to that, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, <laughs> I digress. But so I am a little bit of an expert on, I guess. I mean, I, me and my great partner, Bob Popper, I, I did my first Olympics with the great Marv Albert. I was so blessed. And I did my next three with the great Bob Popper. And um, I think Bob Popper is the best boxing blow-by-blow uh, blow announcer there is, really, to be honest with you, out there. But we, but he does a lot of other stuff. You know, he does New York Giants football radio. He, he does the golf channel. He... You know, he, he does a lot of a lot of stuff. So it's one not like quick he, thing, Teddy. I, I said the Ita- box. I said the Italian fighter. It was a French uh, fighter French. who got no, French. French. I'm sorry, yeah. a French fighter got disqualified. 
Right, yeah, no, it was a French fighter against a British fighter. And that's right. The French fighter's name was Alif, A L I E V. And he was fighting uh, Fraser Clark, um, one of the Brits. You know, we love our Brits. That's right. Uh, we love our Brits. And I, I just want uh, them to know that's why I wore this shirt today in thinking about our, our great Brits over there across the pond, our great brothers and sisters. This was uh, the last Olympics I did and before I got thrown out. Uh, so I watched it. I watched the replay of it. When you brought it to my attention, you and Robin said, let's, let's touch on this. And the first thing I thought about, honestly, was I've seen worse. Again, that's why I went through the explanation of doing four Olympics. I've seen a lot worse. Uh, I... I saw a little spot there where I can't say it was deliberate, but I can't say it wasn't deliberate. Where I did, I did see a little bit of a swipe down with his head. And I would agree with you. Yeah. I agree 100%. And I saw a little something. So I'm, I'm not sure. It could have been a little bit, you know, on purpose. It might not have been. I don't know. Did I think it was enough to disqualify him? No. No, I didn't think that. Did I see any warnings that you would hope that you would see, like a warning, you know, before you just get an out-and-out DQ? I don't know, because I didn't see it other than that part of it. So I don't know if earlier there were warnings. I don't think there were, because I didn't read anything about that there had been a warning administered before that. And I think that was part of the uproar, that it just came so sudden, you know, out with no warning, out, out of nowhere. Uh, with something that wasn't, it, it didn't appear, uh, you know, to be that outrageous, you know, where sometimes you see somebody intentionally headbutt. Guess what? It's outrageous. And you say, oh, yeah, come on, we, you can't do that. It, it didn't appear to be that, obviously. Um, so I, I was surprised with the, with suddenly the guy's gone, just like that. But, as I said, and and this usually I don't like to go down this road, but I've seen worse because if it's wrong, it's wrong, you know. It's wrong, it's wrong. And, and again, I didn't see anything that should take somebody's Olympic dreams away. I saw Olympic dreams taken away from the first moment I started doing the Olympics as I said, for four Olympics. And, you know, when I first got asked to do the Olympics, I was so proud because it's like, you know, it's almost like they, you got recognized for doing something at a pretty good level, at a pretty high level, that they asked you to do the Olympics. I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Thank you. I, I, I must be doing something right. And, and then doing the Olympics... My great partner, Bob Poppin, I had a great partner, like I said, Marv Albert, where he told me after we did, we're there three weeks and you work for two weeks, morning and afternoon and night for the first week and a half. And he said, Teddy, we did 278 fights. I was like, we did 207. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a lot of work. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You got to be prepared, and you got to be ready to uh, pronounce a lot of names that you have no idea how to pronounce. 
I no, was going to say, I want to see a compilation of you pronouncing some of the uh, Asian names, the no, Thai no, names, the Azerbaijan. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not pretty. And uh, it's not pretty. And I tried to treat with the great Marv Albert once. And I said, well, the, uh, the, the fighter from Azerbaijan in the blue. No, 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 Teddy, you can't do that in the blue trunks. You got to say his name. So he's right. <laughs> He's right. Yep. You can't cheat. But thank goodness for phonetic spelling and all that. Even with that, it wasn't, it wasn't a layup. But <laughs> what really was horrific, and that's the right word, was seeing the corruption. I've been around boxing all my life, most of my life, almost 50 years now. And I've seen all the corruption in the pro games. But what I saw at the time, who was running the Olympics was Aiba. Aiba was in charge of all the, you know, enforcements, of all the administration, of the officials, uh, putting it all together. The IOC, I guess, would put them in place, and, and they, they ran everything. The they IOC would defer to Aiba, like the Internet, yeah. Amateur International Boxing Association. They'd defer it to them and say, okay, you guys oversee the boxing tournament just so everyone's up to speed. So the IOC is kind of governing through Aiba, which at the time was headed by uh, Azerbaijan representative. I yeah, think. listen, it, it was rep it was represented by a lot of different people, and and some of them were from those countries. They they were on the board. They were whatever they were. They had different capacities. The bottom line was, here's a guy me, who came from a tough place, professional boxing, where I saw I thought the worst corruption I ever saw in my life. And I had another thing coming to me. I saw worse corruption with Aiba. People think the amateurs are less corrupt. No. I, what I saw at Aiba, it, it, it made me want to throw up every day. How they were ripping the heart and soul out of these kids that trained most of their lives for this moment. And they deserved to move forward in their Olympic dream. And it got stopped. It got halted. It got stomped on, spit on. By these corrupt officials immediately from Aiba. And I had like, I almost went to, I went to verbal blows with the head of Aiba in 2012. His name was Dr. Wu. They finally got rid of him, the infamous Dr. Wu. They finally got rid of him, but not way too late, way too late. And the reason I almost went to, I mean, again, we went to, we did go to verbal blows. And, and people had to basically get between us was he had called a meeting to meet with me and my director, Bob Papa. So here we are. So they asked for a meeting with the commentators of NBC. That happened to be I. That's me and Bob Papa. So we get this meeting. Bob Papa was much smarter than the director, the producer, anybody. He said, I don't know if that's a good idea to put Teddy Atlas with, to put Teddy with Dr. Wolf. I'm not so sure. No, no, no. It'd be good. They want to have a head there. All right. At the meeting, he wanted to basically get me to back off from the things I was saying about the look of corruption and how, how poorly these games were being officiated, more than poorly, how corruptly, let's get right to it, they were being officiated and how they were destroying these kids' dreams. He wanted me to back up. 
And he started to say something, whatever. And I do have a habit of getting to the point, Ken. I think you kind of learned that or saw that. And I think our fans understand. I don't know if it's always good, but I, I like to be kind of uh, frank. And people could be frank with me, too. I, I got to live by the same standard. I expect it. I got I to gotta deliver it, too. Be frank. So I was kind of frank. And, and I said, hey, Dr. Wu, you know what? <laughs> I've been watching these kids get ripped off, robbed. I don't like it. Worse, they don't like it. You're destroying. Your officials are destroying these kids' dreams, their lifelong dreams. And you're robbing them. I, I don't know what else to call it. It can't be incompetence. It's the two great degree to be incompetence. It's got to be something else. Like corrupt. He said immediately, you should be ashamed of yourself. And I'm not afraid to say what he said. You've got to talk the truth. He said, you should be ashamed of yourself. NBC shouldn't have you there. You shouldn't be doing commentating. Uh, you're, a, you're a disgrace. He said, I said, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if he said disgrace. I might have been the one who used that word. I, oh, I, 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 I might have been the one. He said, you're you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't have that position. I'm going to go to the head of NBC. I'm going to get you removed. You should. And then, well, I was going to say very calmly. It wasn't that calm. It wasn't that calmly. I just, I just basically said what I think is a disgrace. If, if, if that word came up, maybe I brought it up. But what I think is really a disgrace is that you have doctor before your name. Because you got to earn the right to be called a doctor. And you are a disgrace, Dr. Wu. And that's the last time you're here, doctor, when it refers to you. I will never use it again because you don't deserve to be called a doctor. Because you are an embarrassment to your position. And you have a position of responsibility where a lot of people are affected by what you say and what you do. It's a great responsibility and you've abused it. You've abused it. And again, I know people that are doctors, starting with my father and, and they're honorable people. They earned the right to be called a doctor. You have not earned that right. You are an embarrassment. Well, after it was over, Bob Papa turned to the producer and said, you see why I said I didn't think it was a good idea to put Teddy together with with a guy like Dr. Wu. Do you understand why? <laughs> so um so we we went we went on, we went down the road. I continued doing what I was doing. He went to the head of NBC, it didn't work, didn't work. We uh we kept working. That particular Olympics, the 2012 was the last Olympics. Ebersol stepped down. He was there as a he, he maintained a capacity of of um, advisory capacity, but he was no longer the head. There was a new guy. I can't remember his name. There was a new guy that was that was the head. But Dick was there for the Olympics, and that's why I did the last Olympics. I was getting a little tired of all the crap. I was. I'll be honest. I was so honored. The first one, the second one, the third one. But by the time I got to the fourth, and all this corruption every year, having to go down the same path, it, it was it was it was tiring me out. So I even told Dick, I, I'll, I'll do my last Olympics. It's your last Olympics. It'll be my last Olympics. And I, 
or it might be my last Olympics. I didn't realize, um, I didn't realize that uh, I was actually seeing a future because it was my last Olympics, <laughs> whether I liked it or not. It was my last Olympics because I wasn't invited back after that. But here's, here's, here's the interesting thing. When I got ready to do my, the Olympics, I did my due diligence like we all do. And I had read a story about that the BBC had done a story before the Olympics talking about that they thought somebody from Azerbaijan, which was a mineral-rich, you know, country that was formerly one of the satellite of, of the Soviet Union before they broke off like, like many of them did. Uh, and they, they, had, uh, they had a lot of money. And there was a story written by the BBC, a reputable, obviously, you know, uh, medium uh, platform, uh, you know, uh, news organization, where it was purported that there was somebody in Azerbaijan trying to bribe Aiba at the tune, for the tune of $10 million to buy two gold medals for Azerbaijan. So I came on the air doing my job, just saying, look, I'm not accusing anyone. The story's out there. Keep your eyes open. I'm going to follow it. And we didn't have to wait long. We didn't have to wait long. I mean, I don't know how long it was, but stuff started happening. And I'm reporting it. And Papa's report. And then we got, the, we got that moment, that watershed moment, where a fighter from Azerbaijan is fighting a fighter from Japan. Ken, I'll get to the point. There's a lot I could go into. The bottom line was it gets to a part in a fight where the Japanese fighter drops the Azerbaijan fighter, I believe, five times. It could have been more. It might have been six. Maybe, God forbid, it was seven. But what's it matter after you get to five? He drops him five times. Ken, the referee wasn't even counting. The referee was telling him to get up. Wasn't even counting when he got dropped. Come on, get up, get up. There was one moment, I swear, I, th I thought I was losing my mind. I thought he was actually helping him. <laughs> but, 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 but he, at the very least, he was, he was telling him, come on, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You don't do that. Last I checked, that's not in the book of referee. That, 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 that's not in the general, general book of how to ref. <laughs> it's not in there. You, you don't tell the guy to get up. So me and Papa calling this live on NBC, and we're, you could imagine we're going, we're, we're, go, we're saying what's going on here. But right now, Alkahanov is hurt. Yeah, why didn't the referee give him a count? It's just amazing that he didn't. Now there's a lot of confusion there. Matter. The Japanese fight is doing it the old Why is there no count being given? The guy is hurt. How many more times are you going to go down? He's telling him to get up. The fighter, maybe the fighter wants to get out. Maybe the fighter's hurt. Maybe the fighter just doesn't want to continue. The referee scolding him, telling him to get up. Incredible. And at the end of it, who do you think they give the fight to? Yeah, you got it. The, the fighter from Azerbaijan. Well, we went to zero.
considered a joke. I mean, rightfully so, really, because it was killing me that these kids were being robbed like this. It was killing me. And that that these 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 so-called refs and officials were part of it. They, they're supposed to be honorable. So, uh, you know, I, I said what I had to say. And there were other fights where stuff was going on, never to that degree, but it was bad. And every day I'm walking out and I'm seeing fighters laying on the canvas crying because they just got robbed. It was, I was like, oh, my goodness. And there was one time, there was one, it wasn't that particular broadcast, but one of them, I actually said, you know, these, these referees, they come here every day in a bus. We watch them arrive. And I said to Pop, I turned to my great partner, I said, they should get them all together and get them back on that bus and take them to prison right now. Make, make it a Department of Correction bus. Make it a <laughs> Department of Correction bus. Get them all on the bus, get them out of here, and get them to prison. Get them out of here. And then there was another one where I said, hey, Bob, that garbage pill over there near you, bring it over here because I want to throw up. I mean, that, that's – so you can understand. I wasn't invited back, okay? Um, but at the end of it all – and look, full disclosure, I don't care as long as it's the truth. So what? You can't handle it? You know what? These kids couldn't handle being destroyed, being having their hearts stomped on when they worked so hard. So they couldn't understand it. That you get one chance in a lifetime if you're lucky. <coughs> if you're lucky. I know some people have been to more than one Olympic, but if you're lucky, most people get maybe, they, most people don't get one chance to go to the Olympics to represent your country. And these bums are going to rob you like that. So we got all the way to the medal matches. And then Dr. Wu and his, his group of bandits, they had enough. They, they, you know, they had enough. So we were going for the evening session and all of a sudden there's a bunch of, a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of security guys, I guess, Aiba security guys surrounded me and Papa, uh, which please do not sit there. Please follow us out of the premises. All right. <laughs> All right, Bob, I guess we're not calling fights tonight. I guess we're not calling fights tonight. So they take us into the trailer and we can't call fights. So now the head of NBC, Dick Ebersole, the advisor, but all the big shots, you know, Molly, there was a woman, Wally, Molly, uh, Jim Bell, good, good people, you know. I mean, big executives. We, we got, I remember Jim Bell saying, so when he saw me there, he said, so you started World War III, huh? <laughs> so I, I said, no, I didn't start none. I'm just, I'm just trying to defend these poor kids. I, I, I know, Teddy. So, and we're standing behind you. So I said, all right, that's good to hear. So anyway, we get in the truck. We get in a, they put us in a, in a bus. I didn't know that I was going to be in the Department of Detention bus when I, made <laughs> that, when I made that comment early. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So they put us in a bus and they take us, me, the, the producer, Bob, you know, whatever, a couple of people. They take us to the I, what was it called? The IBF? The I, I, IBC? The IBC. Anyway, it was the headquarters where they all were. So I walk in, and there's Ebersole <laughs> with a smile on his face because you know he's the and he says, "Hey Teddy, I heard you stirred up, uh, you stirred up a few uh, rough, rough with a few feathers over there, huh?" I said, "Hey," uh, and they had you removed. So we're going over there to go into a meeting now with the head guy, right, to see what what's gonna you know what's gonna be told to us, whatever. 
whatever. So I see Dick. I said, hey, Dick. I don't, hey, Teddy, you're rough with a few. You guys don't go. Hey, come here. Come on. Let's take a walk. I said, hey, Dick. They, I don't care. If they, we only had two days left, to, we were at the weekend for the medal matches. We had done, like Papa said, we had already done like 270 fights. So here we are at the end. I said, Dick, you know what? I don't care. Uh, they throw me out of here. I'll come hang out here with you. You got all catered food. You got Starbucks down the, down the, down the <laughs> end of the hallway. I'll hang out here with you and eat catered food and go get cappuccinos. And maybe I'll throw a latte in. So Dick's laughing. He put his arm around. <laughs> he goes, Teddy, 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 come on. Let's take a walk. Come on. So we take a walk. We talk. We And then he comes back. He goes, I said, I got to go in and talk to these guys, Dick. I just talk to you. I, I, I you know, I, I signed up to do this with you. He goes, now nah, do me a favor, go inside. You got to go in there. You got to talk. You know, they're all in there. So we go in there and you can see what it was. They, they were at the gold medal match. They, they said the right thing. Teddy was standing behind you. All right. If you don't, if you don't want to do no more, they, you know what? We're, we're, first of all, we'll never let you go back there and put you in the back of the room like they tried to say. They, I couldn't go to ringside. I wasn't allowed in ringside. I'd have to be in the back. Of, I said, well, I'm not doing that. They said, no, we wouldn't never let you or ask you to do that. Never. Either we're, either we're going to do something or we're going to walk away. We'll shut down all the platforms, everything. SNBC, CNBC, the, the internet platform, you know, whatever. We'll shut them all down. And, and if that's what you want, we'll, that's it. If, you know, we just did two weeks of boxing. We won't do the medals. We'll walk away. And I was like, or, because I knew there was an or coming, or, or, after all your hard work, yeah, okay, go ahead. After all your hard work, obviously they were getting to the point they wanted it to be. We could go into that studio down the hall and you and Bob Papa could finish doing the medal matches the next two days. I said, I saw that studio. You mean that broom closet? I thought it was a broom closet. I'll be honest with you. I could have sworn I saw a janitor coming out, but I thought it was a, because it was about yay big. It was about yay big. It wasn't big. And so you want us to go into that broom closet studio and do the rest of the Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. But I knew they wanted me to do that. Of course. They, what good was it doing all these fights? And that's finishing up with the gold medals, right? What good is it? The gold, the bronze, the, the gold, the silver. So I said, I look at the, and he never got spoke to this way. And I didn't mean to be, I wasn't trying to be, I always try to be a gentleman, but I want someone to be a gentleman back too. And I cared about this damn thing and it bothered me. So I looked at the new guy, I can't remember his name, but I looked at the new head and everybody's there witnessing this, you know, they're all standing around. And I looked at him, I said, listen, I made this deal with Dick Ebersole, guy that I like, a guy that I trust, guy that I believe in, and um, a guy I've been, you know, I have, I have admiration and respect for. I trust him if he tells me something. I have no idea if I can trust you. You know, I wasn't trying to be, but I'm being very honest. I have no idea. I'm sure president of NBC didn't think that his first Olympics, that part of it was to have someone quite talk quite that way. Probably not used to it. But I wasn't trying to start trouble. I was just trying to do what I felt I needed to do and I could do. 
clean up this game a little, do something worthwhile. So I, I said, listen, I don't know if I can trust you, but I know how to find out. I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I will give you my word that I will go with Papa and I'll finish the metal matches in that phone booth you call studio. But I want you a handshake. I want you to look me in the eye and shake my hand that before you do, before NBC does another boxing Olympics, that you will make the IOC fully investigate Aiba. If you give me your word you're going to do that, I'll go show me where it is and I'll go into that booth. He's, he thought about it for a while. And then he shook my hand. I said, okay, good. Bring me to the booth. And we finished up the Olympics. We did a good job. We did, the, we did the last two days in the booth. And he never kept his word. He never kept. And you know what? I'm calling him on it. I'm not saying his name because I don't even remember his name. <laughs> and he doesn't care. He's getting zillions of dollars anyway. What, what's he give a damn about? But there were witnesses there. And I'll tell you something. I caught up a guy who used to be pretty, pretty high up on the uh, food chain over there, okay? No names. I called him up. He heard about it. He goes, Teddy, I heard uh, you started a few, a little rumble over there. I said, yeah, whatever. I said, I didn't start it. I tried to finish it. But he's, I told him the story. He said, yeah, I heard about it. I told him the story. Somebody in the room told him. He said, you want my bet on the money? I said, yeah, I know what it is. He goes, I'll be shocked if he keeps his word. Well, he called me up about two months later, Ken maybe three months later, and he said, Ted, he didn't keep his word. I said, yeah, no shock, no shock, but I kept my word. But here's the thing. Aiba was finally kicked out by the OOC in this Olympics. That's how corrupt the bums were. They finally got rid of him. They, they destroyed the boxing game. The Olympic boxing is not what it used to be. They destroyed it. You don't even see it anymore because they don't want to show it because there's so much corruption. And that's why I'm not there. And they didn't bring me back anymore. But I'll tell you something, that guy had a chance to do something good for the sport. He had a chance to clean it up back in 2012. That was nine years ago. He could have saved a lot of kids getting their hearts broken. A lot of kids getting their hearts ripped out of their freaking chests, getting robbed. He could have saved a lot of kids. And he could have helped the sport by keeping his word and making the IOC go and investigate it back then. But he didn't. And it finally happened anyway. Why? Because it was so blatant. Finally, the IOC kicked Aiba by their backside out. Something that should have been done decades ago. But it finally got done. But that freaking bum. Yeah, I caught him a bum. Yeah, I don't care. That bum, if he would have kept his word, he could have got it done earlier. And again, he could have helped the sport. And maybe the sport of Olympic boxing would be healthier today than it is today. That's it. Well, Teddy, to your point about how important these Olympics are to a lot of kids, we had Vasily Lomachenko, the great Vasily Lomachenko on the show, three-weight class world champion and two-time Olympic gold medalist. And I asked him, of all the belts and all the titles he's won, which was he most proud of? And he said, without hesitation, by far, the Olympic gold medals mean more than everything. So to, to put that into context for people, these guys that are in the Olympics trying to box, this is their whole world. This is everything they've been focused on for at least four years. So to, to see a decision that's unjust is just not fair, regardless of the circumstances. So 
Thank you for that impassioned explanation about what's going on at the Olympics. I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate that. The fans are, the people who are fans of the sport really care about it. And I know that they'll appreciate those uh, stories and anecdotes. And I just want to say thanks for doing this, Teddy. Please make sure you're taking your athletic greens, staying healthy. We don't need you getting a second bout of COVID. I credit Athletic Greens with keeping me COVID-free. Athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS. 10 free travel packs. Guys, thanks for being with us. Please subscribe to the show. Share the links. Leave some comments. Teddy, thanks for doing this. 